Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why are people with ADHD so sensitive to rejection? Where does it come from? And what are some simple strategies that you can use to help manage it in your personal life and in your romantic life? These are the questions I asked today's guest, Dr. Samantha Hugh. This is a conversation I wish I had when I was younger. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, nice to meet you, Alex. Samantha, I asked my community to describe rejection sensitive dysphoria and they said i'll get a small rejection and it'll make me feel like trash for days i'll feel intense sadness or rage i'll continue to think about it for months and even years later it might pop into my head and make me feel like trash again do you think that's a fair representation of rsd yeah definitely i guess it also um depends on the intensity of that uh, reaction and what the source of the react uh, the source of the challenge is you know because some rejections you can let it go a lot quicker but some last for a lot longer and I do find that the ones that do last a lot longer are more relationally uh, related you know mm. things that you know perhaps are said by someone who means something to us mm. you know and then we can bring it up at a later date <laughs> you know yeah. because where, where does RSD come from? Yeah, so, um, well, rejection sensitive dysphoria in relation to ADHD, you mean? Mm. Like that was, um, well, I guess it was William Dodson, the American psychiatrist who worked with thousands of uh, children and families with ADHD over the years, you know, who noticed yeah this um, intense uh, reaction to perceive rejection you know, um, by somebody with ADHD, you know, in a situation. And the scale of the reaction can be so much bigger than the actual rejection that, you know, he's seen that quite universally in a lot of uh, ADHDers. Mm. Do you think it's because people with ADHD are exposed to so many more negative criticisms when they're growing up that they're sort of, they have a subconscious feeling of being different, so they're more primed to react 
defensively when they come yeah, across a criticism? That's completely it. But then I tend to look at the stories of where we come from and what happened to us along the way and our current life in motion. To answer that question, I really need to look at the context. So from the very beginning, you know, if we're, we're, we are born with this neurodevelopmental difference, you know, that will um, perhaps, you know, cause some challenges with the relationship that you have with your caregiver. You know, if they also have undiagnosed neuro, uh, ADHD themselves, you know, so research has shown that less than 10% of uh, ADHDers have secure attachment. And I can see the stories behind why that is, you know, whether that is the story of, you know, genetics or the environment or social deprivation or adverse childhood experience. You know, so if you imagine a child who's coming into the world and they are very much reliant on the adult that, you know, look after them in order to learn how to regulate their emotions and how to form, you know, that emotional regulation. And so in the absence of that, or, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, anything that necessarily happened in an abusive way to us, but in an environment where perhaps there is neglect, you know, where things where we should have gotten the support when we haven't, you know, and, and then, you know, this can cause challenges within ourselves where we're then trying to figure out how to navigate these huge emotions by ourselves. And that um, if you never learn that over time, you put in maladaptive strategies, you know, in your life whilst contending with a world that you're trying to fit in. And, you know, if you are receiving so much more negative messages because of the way you do things and the way you are, whether it's because of the executive functioning challenge or emotional regulation or relational issues and, and problems, then you are less likely to have really learned how to get over your past or to deal with emotions, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Do you think people with ADHD are more susceptible to... to rejection sensitive dysphoria yeah well um i suppose you have to see what this rejection brings up in us right because we would navigate the world as, as human beings anyway we navigate the world through our nervous system you know it's our nervous system that has embedded memories from the past and when we encounter a similar situation then your nervous system will flare up in the way that is always known how and a lot of uh, adhders have a poor relationship with stress when we have that, then if there is a trigger where there's a relational injury tends to bring that up more because of that insecure attachment piece. And um, it can land us into a state of hypervigilance where we are hyper anxious or hyper acting up or dissociative where you're, you know, internalizing things. And so when this triggers present in our day to day as a form of rejection, we will um, experience it and then our nervous system will decide which route to go you know if you externalize it as someone who's always prone to that fight or flight then it can come out as rage anger you know relational challenges and problems and breakdowns you know maybe withdrawing from things because you don't want to be in that situation where you are likely to be ridiculed whilst if you um, internalize it it can look like major depressive disorder you know, you can be depressed because of the relational injury um, or you can, um, you know, have rumination, you know, this loop that goes in your brain on and on and on. 
and also the inner critic and suicidal thoughts, you know, mm. things like that. And often the worst type of rejection is the ones from people closest to you, where you feel like you don't have to mask or be someone else, you know, and, and that's when it hurts more because we are masking when we're at, you know, we're, we're outside, we're dealing with the rest of the world, aren't we? Is it, is it possible for the response to a criticism, the pain that we can feel, is it possible for it to be physical? Yeah, so, you know, um, there is a part in your brain that ensures um, that you feel that pain from traumatic memories or, you know, uh, past somatic triggers, you know, um, there's a part of your brain that ensures you feel it in your body. When you encounter RSD, that brings up that shame and guilt, you know, inside you. And the, that part of the brain is called posterior insula. Mm. And I came across this when I was going to therapy myself and I was encountering, uh, encountering a situation where it was a moral dilemma. And my therapist brought this up and it actually made me think that could be why it hurts in my body when I feel rejected because it's bringing up all the ways in which I wasn't welcome or I wasn't loved, you know, and that is not a wound that I got today. It's from a long time ago, you know? So when we say the reaction does not equate to the actual reality, mm. because we're not even responding to the person in front of us or the source of the reaction, the, the, the source of the rejection in that moment, we're reacting to something that we never got over mm. a long time ago. So you sort of get snapped back to a past trauma from your early years? Yeah, it doesn't have to be early years. It could be trauma in motion, you know, because we think of trauma as just something that happened a long time ago, you know, with um, our parents. But actually, a lot of individuals with ADHD, we have had to learn to adapt very quickly, think on our feet, you know, and going into every situation and trying to adapt to be like everyone else, you know, and that doesn't, that is really hard, mm. you know, because I think the whole hallmark of ADHD having executive functioning challenges, you are trying to, you know, when, when you're in a situation, you're trying to get your brain to engage and do the thing that it's expected to do. And the anxiety that comes from not being able to give people what they need in the moment in every situation that you go in from the moment you were born until now, that brings on, you know, challenges that researchers have put down to look very similar to the nervous system of somebody who has encountered post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not saying that people, everyone with ADHD has post-traumatic stress disorder, but the challenges and the adaptations that you go through every day, research has shown that that looks like post-traumatic stress disorder in your body. That's fascinating. So is, is that because you have spent your whole life fitting in, shape-shifting, altering who you are, masking essentially, desperately trying to be what you think society wants you to be, that that constant not knowing who you are, adapting to the situation in front of you, that can look like PTSD. Yeah, because also whilst we're doing that, we're learning to give people the version of us that they like, the, the version of us that are most likely to love, to, to be loved and to belong. Mm. 
And over time, that can look like what will make other people happy, but not you. And, you know, if that happens over a long period of time, you can be trapped inside. And then one day wake up and wonder, why do I work so hard? Why does this have to be perfect? And why do I look for validation in other people and things? At the end of the day, none of that really matters and I'm not happy. Mm. You know, then you're going to have to start asking yourself how to get out of all that layers of conditioning and archetypes that you built for yourself. So interesting. So I think everyone listening will, will recognize and, and really relate to the feeling, the, mm -hmm. the feeling of intense sadness or, or rage when they're triggered by a criticism or, or a rejection. And so I suppose the, the next question is, are there any tips to manage it? And I suppose breaking it down into immediate tips, short term that you can do in the moment, and then also slightly longer term tips that you could do over time working on yourself to sort of make you more stronger and resilient yeah. for when you encounter future rejections? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in order to do that, you've got to look at your current environment and your context. So short term wise, you know, there are strategies you can do um, to snap yourself back into the moment because when we encounter RSD, we are in essentially in an amygdala hijack, right? Because your body has should have uh, gone straight to feeling those emotions so intensely because you're unable to tap into your prefrontal cortex to think, what are you going to do about this, right? And if you want to snap yourself out of that into the here and now, you've got to focus on something that you can see and feel and hear, you know, but it's got to be strong enough to transfer your attention from the emotional circuit into the thinking and the here and now circuit. And so in order to do that, um, I know that there are, you know, some methods that uh, DBT, you know, like dialectical behavioral therapy, people recommended um, to say uh, you could use something um, like an eye shard, you know, that may maybe you're frozen some fruit juice and that takes planning, by the way. It's not something that, you know, you just open your fridge and, and get. Like, so it, it's part of living with ADHD is to navigate this day-to-day, -day, like when can I enter, you know, this amygdala hijack. If your mm. situation is stressful, um, how can I help myself, you know, with my emotions? And if you know that you're entering a, a stressful situation, it's useful to have something like that. So whether it's something sharp or um, it's something that tastes sharp, like... Um, the, the lemon juice that mm. um, you share with me and also you know something that's cold and maybe sweet it's got to be something that works for you because for me it's like cold and sweet can snap me back into the moment but for you it might be something else you know um, maybe that's why so many people do um, comfort eating you know? <laughs> 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 to kind of try to just get themselves back to regulation but um, I find the most effective way is to call a friend and it's got to be a very compassionate friend as well. Because mm. without compassion, we're just going to go further down the self-chastising, right? Mm. You almost need someone to reflect back the good in you and the reality of the situation to tell you that, you know, you're okay. What you're feeling, you know, is valid. And then, you know, just sharing that and maybe having someone, you know, tell you that you're okay. And it, it really helps, you know, in the here and now or take yourself out for a walk in nature. But say if it's um, 
long term, then we're really looking at the different parts of us that are involved during the reaction, you know, in the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. What kind of uh, character is brought up? You know, what do you see when you feel rejected? Because when you externalize it, it looks like rage, right? You could mm. end up shouting at the people around you, even though they had nothing to do with, you know, why you feel rejected. But why do you feel like that? You know, what is that feeling? Is it because some time ago, you know, someone has made you feel worthless and your compensation strategy is to work really hard to maintain that self-worth. And when there is a criticism to your work, then your self-worth is then at stake because you have associated your self-worth with how well you work and how much mm. you achieve. And so if that um, criticism is towards that, you know, the external archetype, then of course you're going to crumble, right? And part of um, understanding yourself is to build those scaffolding, you know, that perhaps you never really learn how from the beginning, you know, and to reparent yourself to understand what is it that makes you feel strong in yourself without using external, you know, archetypes um, or people or things to validate you, external mm. validation, basically. So uh, over time, um, that can be done through therapy. And there's, um, I, I would always say, go for therapists that shows you compassion. And there is a modality in um, trauma therapy where you look at the internal family systems. And I think this is really what it is when the scale of the rejection, right? The, 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 the reaction is so high is that there are different parts at war within yourself. And there's obviously a very intense part that is very hurt and very injured. And, you know, the internal family systems look at all the different parts of you and try and find a part of you you know, that truly believe in yourself in order to navigate um, situations going forward. And ultimately, it is really about building that sense of self and self-belief, you know, and deconditioning ourselves from the archetypes that we have built for external validation and finding the environments for us to move forward. Mm. But, you know, um, medically, you know, there are non-stimulants that have been prescribed for RSD, such as guanfacin and clonidin. And people have said that when they take guanfacin, they they tend to know when the reject the the, 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 the the rejection is coming, but they let it go more, you know, so they don't let it get um, really bad or manifest. But then taking that guanfacin then helps them to build skills to navigate that situation. Over time, people have said that they don't really need confessing anymore, mm. you know. So I think over time, it's really understanding, you know, how we react to things and who we are as people. Mm. Do, do you think you should share that understanding with with your romantic partner? Do you think you should have an, like an open conversation at the beginning of relationships to say, RSD is something I <laughs> contend with? Do you think you should open that and, sh and share that with your partner? Yeah, in a new relationship, I think it's a good idea to say that you do you are quite a sensitive person, especially when we talk about this, this and this, you know, but I would always say, you know, God is fair, 
right? What we're, what they give us and what we perceive as a negative, it can be a good in other situations, mm. you know? So what makes us bad in situa this situation can be what makes us good in other situations and contexts. So I always believe that we attract people um, who reminds us of the part of ourselves that need to heal. And if, you know, we are attracting people because we are sensitive to rejection, but also sensitive in nature, that sensitivity is also a strength when we look at how we can be empathic, you know, to other people and um, individuals who, are, who, who have ADHD. Mm. They tend to feel things in their body rather than, you know, um, have empathy through, you know, thinking. So it's having empathy through what we feel for others in our body. And so if we're able to be this, this person that, you know, have that level of empathy and nurture for, for, for somebody, and they see that as something that they want in their lives, you know, to have in their corner, then, you know, dealing with us when we're feeling, you know, a sense of rejection to something that is said or, you know, in a day-to-day, -day, that is a very small exchange, I think, you know, mm. for the good that you're getting in us as well. So basically, I'm just saying that what makes us bad makes us, what is, is also what makes us good and is to be balanced in our discussion with our, with our partners as well. Mm, so true. Yeah. I think the, the, the bits that might cause the issue in the relationship, the, the rejection sensitive dysphoria, is a small price to pay because the part of them that causes that reaction is probably also the part of them that creates all the fun and exciting and yeah. the spontaneity and all the amazing things that you fell in love with that person for. So it's kind of like a balance and that's the, that's the negative, but there's also all of these positives on the other side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, you know, we all have strengths and challenges, right? Mm. So it's not just us, you know, it's the other side as well, you know, maybe we're just better able to talk about it because we have the words and awareness about it now but you know the other side also you know have stuff and hopefully that they you know are aware enough you know <laughs> to contribute to this conversation is not mm. just all about us you know what i mean mm. so then we don't just hyper focus on these big challenges that we have mm. when actually you bring some stuff too yeah. you know <laughs> come on <laughs> when i i i asked my community that I was going to be speaking to you today about rejection sensitive dysphoria and the main question I got was please can we have some advice on how to manage RSD in relationships and I know we've just touched upon that there but do you have any other like headline advice that people might find useful in, in navigating RSD in romantic relationships? They say a lot of the mental health challenges that manifest in our lives is caused by the relationships that we have. Mm. And I do believe that it's our closest relationships that brings out, you know, that in us because we're going back to that internalizing RSD and externalizing RSD and what that, what, what that you know, uh, creates. So it's either that rage, you know, outwards or dissociative inside. And this can look like argument patterns in relationships. Some of us might be the type of people who need to discuss it there and then, right? We are more kind of like, tackle it now because I need to talk about things and you're externalizing, right? But then the, the, the other person is like, I'm just going to mull over this and just keep it all inside for a bit as I process. We're talking about different processing style as well. 
You know, so it's useful to understand what kind of partner you have, what their neurobiology is, <laughs> which is a bit complicated. But you know, like just just to understand what is their level of emotional maturity and how they handle stress. Mm. You know, because sometimes. When you talk to somebody, you think they're talking about you when you're arguing, but actually they're arguing with their own mother, you know, <laughs> and they're seeing their mother in you,、mm. you know, because maybe some people have that challenge, you know, from the past where they haven't really resolved, you know, the pain that they felt from their mother, and then all of a sudden you're carrying that burden going forward. So how important it is for you to know before you get into a relationship what you're getting into, you know, is that person really? Going to be worth all that investment, or you know, are you able to help each other grow?、Mm. In order to do that, you both need to be self-aware. You both need to be emotionally mature, you know, because if you don't have that maturity, or if the other person doesn't, then how are you ever going to make it work unless you sacrifice, you know, a part of yourself? Because Gabo Mate talked about this in his book, The Myth of Normal. We are trying to reconcile between authenticity and attachment. You know, so if we're attached to somebody that we're closely related to, whether it's our partner, a long-term partner, or someone that we harbor dreams and hopes, you know, for the future, and sometimes when conflict happens, we might think that if I tell you what I need truly, then I might not be able to stay with you、mm. because maybe somewhere deep down you know that they don't have the capacity to handle all that. And isn't that true for us ADHDers?、Mm. We believe that we are too much for certain people, and we've got to hide a bit of ourselves because if you really see us for who we are, then are you really still going to be there and love us? And why not bring that all out on the table,、mm. not as a way of pointing fingers, but as a way of looking at this is the person that you're going to a relationship with, you know? But how many of us actually ask these questions, right? Um, in the beginning, when it's all like you know very woozy and beautiful, <laughs> and,、uh, and then as you settle in, this little conflict start to happen, and there are micro conflicts, micro situations that might build resentment or might build love, you know. But it can go any which way. An important thing is to communicate about、mm. it. But in order to do that, you need to have maturity, and、um, in order to have maturity, you need to work on yourself,、mm. and. Really own your shit as well, because <laughs> you know? if you're just looking at other people、mm. bringing you pain to your life, that's not true. Because、mm. we're also contributing to pain, you know, if it's happening and rolling in motion. Because you know, relationship is two ways.、Mm. You're fascinating, and you mentioned earlier about often people with ADHD in response to. A, a an RSD flare-up can often be labelled as like too sensitive, and do you have like a counter to that if if your partner or anyone says stop being sensitive when you're having a, a real episode? What would you say to in that situation? Yeah, I think knowing how my brain works right now, I won't see that as a criticism. I see that as a compliment, because a long time ago I had to figure out what is it that I bring, you know that. That no one can replace me, and I bring a lot of empathy to every situation, and this empathy is mixed with, like you know, emotional and cultural intelligence, and so the answer to that is to use that as your strength.、Mm. You know, we are sensitive. 
what we have inherited isn't just another system that is, you know, prone to stress or um, executive functioning challenges. We have inherited increased sensitivity to the world because we hear more, we see more, we feel more, you know, and with that, it helps us see the things that no one else is seeing. It helps us empathize, you know, and fight for people we love because we will not leave them behind, you know, and we will be loyal, you know, and, and these are the things that anyone would love, you know, in the relationship. But unfortunately, with this then comes with great powers, come great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that responsibility is to manage the emotions. Mm. But it's it's a growth process and it starts with awareness, compassion, and then maturity, you know, which needs work. Mm. Such good advice. You said something fascinating before we started filming today. You said that when women go through the menstrual cycle and men go through the daily testosterone cycle, that can affect how they respond to criticism. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah. So I'm looking at the oscillation of uh, our sex hormones. So the changes that happen, you know, when in the month, you know, our sex hormones are higher and lower and for both men and women, except that for a woman, the changes happen over the course of the month, so it's cyclical, whereas for a man, it happens on a daily basis. So for a woman, I liken it to having four seasons of the year within the month, and that is spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And that is distributed to different phases of your hormonal cycle. Mm. So when I'm in the spring and summer, I'm really happy, I'm going towards ovulation, and I'm verbally very articulate and I sleep better. I have more energy, more able to regulate my emotions. This is the best time for me to give a talk and, you know, <laughs> to have um, constructive arguments you know, <laughs> without really taking too much to heart. My mental mm. health is in a better place. But take me towards uh, the autumn and the winter, going towards luteal phase, and I have trouble sleeping because with the decrease of estrogen and increase of progesterone and decrease of acetylcholine um, and serotonin, what is impacted is my well-being. I'm feeling less happy because there is a chemical change in my body and I'm also less able to sleep and less able to be verbally articulate and I don't remember as much, which, which means that my day-to-day -day might be a, a bit more chaotic. And so when you put that context into then navigating rejection, or it's like work or whatever, you know, it feels like an extra atom bomb thrown on top of a detonation, mm. you know. So there is really so much that I can take in that time, you know, and if we are aware of that and we can educate our partners about it and maybe tell our work, you know, <laughs> when we need a duvet day, you know, because apparently some countries have that and actually some countries have menstrual leave, Mm. Um, Spain has just legalized that. And so that helps us a great deal because we are dealing with our biology, which impacts our psychology. Whereas for a man, your oscillation of testosterone is happening on a daily basis. And actually, by the way, this happens to women as well, except that we have lots of backup sex hormones to you know, <laughs> help ourselves. Um, but generally, yeah, testosterone goes up in the morning and that's when you feel vitality and happy. 
um, you're, you have more energy and you're tackling the day. Whereas um, this goes down as the day goes by, um, the, 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 days, the day goes on and your testosterone dips around five or six o'clock. And that's when you would try and eat before that happens and maybe go to the gym and exercise because that brings up the testosterone level mm. as well. And so it's so important we understand that because if you are if, if you are taking medication for ADHD and you need to, you know, um, understand that there is a part of the day where your medication will start to taper off and your blood sugar will start to crash alongside your testosterone going down and you haven't had your dinner, mm. then there is that is when you're likely to have arguments with somebody mm. and they might say something that will incite an RSD. But not knowing that, people are unwittingly going into situations that really is quite harmful to mm. themselves and their relationships. It's so fascinating. So there's an actual chemical reason for a man to, to react differently to rejection throughout the day and a woman and a chemical reason why a, a woman might react differently throughout the month and then if you zoom out actually throughout her life depending on where she is menopause premenopause post with 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 talking about the chemicals and, and from my experience and with speaking to others if i'm hung over for example after i've been drinking alcohol i find that i'm much more susceptible to a flare up of rsd is is alcohol a have a have a big impact on the the levels of dopamine and serotonin? Yeah, 100%. Because you're not just looking at the neurotransmitter levels, you're looking at the impact on, on uh, of alcohol on your sleep and how that helps you navigate stress. Mm. Because uh, research has shown that once you had a glass of wine, that decreases your sleep, uh, your, your deep sleep level by like 20%. And then once you have like two or three glasses of wine, that goes down by 40%. So your sleep quality is affected, which means mm. you're waking up the next day more grumpy because you are groggy, your body is lacking the vitamins and minerals that it needs you know, to feel balanced and a decreased ability to handle stress. And so anything that happens then means that you have less ability to handle that emotionally. Mm. Of course, you're also looking at other areas of your life, you know, like, is this something you're doing every week? Or is it a one-off? You know, do you have protective environments that allow you to recover, or protective relationships that allow you to just lie in bed, you know, <laughs> and watch Netflix through the day, and you're fine. You know, mm. you recover, and then you know you don't need to have harm yourself or anybody. But most of us don't have that, right? Because mm. we live with people, <laughs> if we're lucky, and <laughs> and you know, we um, yeah. So we've got to look at other contexts, but yeah, generally there. Research has shown that alcohol is the most destructive drug mm. when you put um, alongside MDMA or, or LSD, uh, alcohol being culturally accepted as well. Mm. You know, it's, it's something that a lot of people use as a crutch for social anxiety and, you know, um, just to help themselves feel more confident in situations, which, you know, unfortunately is... is <laughs> I'm going to say, I feel like a party pooper when I say that <laughs> because I have gone out with my friends and I know that, you know, it will help me loosen up as well. Mm. But then I think too much about the consequences mm. that I'd rather be awkward for two hours in order to not suffer mm. the next few days, you know? Do you think there's a way 
for someone with ADHD to differentiate an irrational reaction to criticism or rejection between against a justified reaction to criticism. In other words, is there a way for someone to tell if they're having an RSD flare-up, which is irrational, or are they having a genuine justified reaction to someone being mm. an asshole? Yeah, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> um, I, I, I think you know when you know you're seeing yourself. It's almost it's interesting because it's almost like you're stepping aside and someone else has gone into your body. Mm. You know, and just in the moment where you have that, if you're externalizing it, that anger is so big and it doesn't make any sense. And also at times it's channeled to people who didn't even cause you that pain in the first place. And then when that has happened, you feel that shame, right? Mm. Because if you are hurting so much, your immediate reaction could be, I'm going to just show somebody how much it hurts by hurting them. Mm. You know, and it really doesn't make any sense, but it helps people feel better. But that's not good because sometimes the skill of that reaction can cause harm. And that's when it's totally unjustified when you're, you know, going through this pain and you're letting it out on somebody who is quite innocent, is an innocent bystander. So really, it goes back to working on yourself because mm. they don't deserve it. And then you feel more shame as a result of that, right? And then if you internalize that RSD, then you start telling yourself, well, there's no place for, for me here, you know, but... You also know that, why am I saying that? You know, because <laughs> <laughs> actually yesterday I was feeling fine. Pretty sure tomorrow I won't be that bad. Yeah, but yeah. in that moment, you're like, this is not right, mm. you know? And, and then you've got to develop that self-questioning. I know we have voices anyway. You know, I, I don't know <laughs> if you do, I, I do. <laughs> you know, we all have different parts, by the way. Mm. And I don't know like who, who, who doesn't, but I, I do. And there are different voices telling me Sometimes I'm all right and sometimes I'm not. And why is it I'm not all right? And that goes back to the work we do in analyzing the different parts of ourselves, mm. you know, and, and try and integrate them, you know? You said something fascinating, which I wanted to mention. You said if ADHD is, and there was a study on this, that if, if we're sort of left to live in nature and out in the wild, the traits or the struggles that we associate with ADHD decrease. And I imagine, therefore, the RSD response might decrease. Is that? Could you explain more about that? Yeah, so there is, uh, yeah, I was looking into this whilst I was looking at our relationship to stress mm. and trying to work out, is that chicken and egg question? Were we stressed first before, you know, do we have a genetics or, you know, biology that predisposes us to stress or the other way around? is a lot of us need a bit of, or a lot of stress in order to get into motion and get motivated because that's how we learn to work and, you know, to kick into gear. But if you take away the stress from the day to day, and I'm sure if we are in a position to take ourselves away from the rat race and the day to day, you have in your life benefited from times when you're able to unplug and be a more patient version of yourself you know when you feel that you know with the right elements involved and you know with nature with uh, good nutrition and you know with less stress from the outside world your ADHD isn't as bad mm. right 
So that research was looking at how when you take someone in nature for two weeks without their cell phone, you know, their ADHD traits miraculously disappear. You know? And uh, that is not the case in the capitalist world, in the modern mm. day today, when we have demands, you know, that are coming from the outside world, but also a lot of it come from ourselves inside. You know, so there's definitely an element of being mindful about the amount of stress that's coming into your life, you know, and how that impacts your ADHD and the, your ability to navigate emotional stress, which is really what RSD is. Mm. That's fascinating. Maybe we should all go camping. I have thought about that, Alex. <laughs> I actually thought that could be a really good business idea, but then I thought that I have to organize it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's stop right there. Probably lose interest that idea went weeks. away immediately. <laughs> oh, Samantha, just finally, I think yeah. we should do the washing machine of woes. Um, and I think we've got a rejection special this week. Okay. Every week I ask my ADHD community to send me a woe, mm-hmm. which I throw in a washing machine mm-hmm. because... People often forget their laundry. Do you forget your laundry? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I forgot. I left my heating on and my lights on and I left. And I missed a train, by the way. So You <laughs> did today. You missed a train. <laughs> yeah. It would be, I, wouldn't, uh, I would doubt your um, diagnosis if you were Oh, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what the woe is this week. When I get a rejection, I'm not trying to be mean or hateful. Sometimes it's just so painful that I can't handle the big feelings. And I get angry like it's a defense mechanism. It doesn't have to be a big rejection either. A friend could simply say they're too busy to see me and it feels like I've been punched in the stomach. It's unbearable. Do you relate to that? Yeah, well, in a opposite way. I think I would be quite glad to, you know, have <laughs> yeah. a friend cancel on me Relief. because yeah, I mean for me, I don't take it personally when a friend does it because I've gone past the point in my life where I rely on friends as a validation. but and, and that's where I see that the reason we feel sensitive to someone saying no to us is because we have put our self-esteem outside of ourselves, mm. you know, and we need to validate it, whether it's true, you know, someone else liking us, and that's why the people please her, or, you know, someone else loving us and someone else think we're capable and achieving and, you know, important, which, you know, is the other part of the perfectionist, high achiever type of archetype. Mm. Or, you know, if someone finds us funny, that's the class clown archetype. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so on. There's loads of different versions of ourselves floating outside of us mm. that is not inside. And, and so if we're always relying on external factors to keep us happy and balanced, then we're in for a really unstable time. Mm. You know? Then really, if you have a relationship with someone who has that, then you're also in for a really unstable time. So really, when you come together, um, you know, in a relationship, I think the most important thing that you need to work on is awareness, you know, of where you are at you know, in your emotions and how mature you are in handling things. And can you, you know, treat a situation that maybe in the past you perceive as a rejection, but can you treat it as a way of learning? Mm. You know, either something about yourself or something about your partner. And could you communicate in a way that's mature so that you can both, you know, overcome that and, and grow mm. from that? And I know this context is more for friendship, but for me, 
I won't be as effective to a friend, but maybe more for yeah, like a, per mm. a personal relationship. Yeah, no, it's so interesting, and how I suppose the, the it highlights as well how minor the trigger can be, minor the the, the event. For example, her just the friend being too busy to see, but there's probably a completely justified reason why that person's too busy. Maybe they're at working or they're, they already have an appointment and they've said no. So there's a probably a justified reason, but when you're in that dysregulation, it feels like an attack, like a, like a real, real critical, like a rejection. So you really feel it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like I, I think if we can tell ourselves that when someone doesn't want to see us or if they are saying other things, you know, that, affect the relationship that is more a reflection of where their friend or that the other person is you know in their own personal journey rather than us mm. you know and, and I think if we can separate that then we won't take things so personally mm. you know yeah yeah it's a journey <laughs> for sure definitely is Samantha I've certainly learned a lot uh, <laughs> talking to you today I'm sure the listeners will will learn a lot as well so thank you thank you so much for your time oh thank you for your time you know you've been so generous <laughs> it's been so lovely talking to you thank Brilliant. you thank you samantha <laughs>